Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works. Or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the nicest man in comedy, Kevin Eldon. Don't talk to me about being nice. <laughs> you make me sick. I've had enough. I've had a, it's very nice to be here um, and to be the special guest. Who are the other non-special guests, or is it just me? We, we had uh, Cannon and Ball. Yes. Yeah. They were less than special. Yeah. Um, we had uh, a bully off Bullseye yeah. talking about his life. Is he yeah. actually real? I thought he was uh, um, animated. He's a bit flat, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, Morph. Morph the thing was, about the um, interview with Morph is it took ages. Yes. Yeah. They had that yeah. man with him who kept moving. That took months. <laughs> just for get two minutes. Just to get two yeah. Anyway, it's good because um, you've got a good thing going here. It's uh, people talking about comedy who have uh, done comedy and uh, cunt. Oh, so we've, we've had... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say cut we'll be, for the whole we'll be, lot that I've done we'll be, so far. We'll be cutting, cutting that cunt. <laughs> or possibly just amplifying. I did, a couple of days ago, I took a tiny cunt that someone had said, and they said it under their breath, and I put it through compressors to make it the loudest bit of the podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of power I enjoy. God, yeah, I'm a bit wary now. Yeah, be careful. Kev, you've been in everything, haven't no, you, really? That's, that's a lie, isn't it? I haven't been in everything. Well, it's not a lie, it's an exaggeration. Yeah, it's an exaggeration. But, when uh, does an exaggeration become a lie or stop becoming a lie? There's Let's a kernel of truth that. in it. You're, being like, you're, you're a, a proper grafter, I'd uh, say. When they give me the opportunity to graft, I'll graft. You sound like George Harrison. I know. You'll graft <laughs> if I want you to graft. <laughs> <laughs> if whatever you don't it want is, me to make graft, I won't graft, you know, whatever <laughs> will please you. <laughs> Um, tell me how it is that you come to find that you can do a perfect George Martin impersonation. I don't know. No, I, that just leapt out of my throat one day. That just, I don't know, that took me by surprise. <laughs> that really did. Martin's voice really jumped up just onto emerged. my back and <laughs> sneaked round to the side of my neck and went down my throat and then came out again. And suddenly, there he was. And it's just, it's really weird. I was as shocked as actually opening the door of my own home and finding him sitting there. <laughs> Yeah, twiddling on a on an eight track, um, so I I don't know how that okay. That's just constriction of the throat that uh, happened by happen chance, and uh, yeah, I did George Martin. I didn't know till I did it. It's weird, isn't it? Do you wander around the house as George Martin? <laughs> My mum, I remember when I was a teenager. Um, I remember hearing her on the phone to a friend, and uh, I remember her saying, "Yes, he walks around the house making these stupid noises." And um, I kind of did, because I would get 
it's a bit weird. I would get a noise in my head. Like if I went like Tashimala, I'd just try that out for about 10 minutes. Tashimala. And I'd absolutely entertain myself. And before, in retros- before the Game Boy and the Nintendo box. <laughs> yeah, totally it had. before that, there was only just thumbs before that. And then I suddenly realized, yes, I did do that all the time just to entertain myself. And as my wife pointed out, well, you kind of went on to make a living out of it. And I suppose I did yeah. making stupid noises. Um, but I but I did. So th- maybe I was just making a stupid noise and, and that one came along as George Martin. Reminded you of George Martin. It's like when you can see a face in a plug socket. But it's strange. It's, my wife's already pointed out how it's sort of slightly unusual that I can, because I, I still do it. And that my kids are completely inured to it. I can just walk into the room <laughs> and make any bizarre noise I want, and they'll carry on chewing carrots and looking at the telly. They won't even look up, <laughs> even when I'm trying to catch their attention. One of the things that drives people mad, I think, is you look back at your life and go, "How did I get here?" And one of the most satisfying things that can lighten your heart is to look back and go, "Well, it's obvious how I got here." And that's quite a nice feeling. Sort of say, "Well, I made those noises as a kid." I look back and think, "All I used to do is lay on the floor." drawing and making stupid cartoons to make myself laugh and I still do that yeah sort of. well yeah as a kid I think all you probably find this with all comedians I just was drawn to telly comedy it was a good time 70s was good for for, for sitcoms it was really mm. good I and I would just have a makes you sound so old I would just have a tape recorder and I would tape them and listen to them as radio plays in bed so I'd listen to mash and um, and Steptoe and Son, and uh, I could play them over and over again. Uh, I'd, I'd play them quite a number of times, and uh, and it does sound like we used to make do with an apple and the worm inside it, <laughs> and that would keep us going. But um, <clears throat> it, that's where I got the love for it, I think, because pouring over it in detail, which I suppose is, you know, a lot of people in comedy are a little bit obsessive about it. They're interested in the nuts and bolts. So I started thinking, well, what's that? why is that funny? Or... And quite often the ones that I enjoyed most was that I weren't deconstructing. I wasn't deconstructing at all. I was just letting it wash over me and enjoying the feeling that it made me have. Um, For example, as a 14-year-old, when Whatever Happened to the Lightly Lads was on, Mm. um, I I don't know why it it made me feel so warm. It made me feel warm and I loved those guys. And I I think in retrospect what it was is I I thought, yeah, when when I'm their, their age, you know, when I'm as old as they are, they must be 30 at least. You know, I'll have a mate that I can go down the pub and drink beer with and just um, talk things like that as old mates and bicker, uh, but have a joke. And, and that one where they're, you know, running away from the football score. Yeah. And, no hiding places. And, yeah, no hiding places called, yeah. It was uh, so brilliant. You just thought, oh, right, they're, they're joined together. They're a brilliant team. Um, and, uh, yeah, so good comedy used to get me in a way where I didn't know what was happening, uh, except for the way that I was feeling it. It in my warms bones. you up. I wonder if that's why, because you're listening to, people have talked about this a lot on this podcast, listening to LPs or, or watching programmes again and again on videotape or taping them onto, onto audio tape and learning the, the rhythm and the pace and the texture and the sound of the words and the effect it had on them. Well, something like the Lightly Lads, one of the things you're enjoying is those accents and yeah. the, the turns of phrase that are different than your own. And you're, and you're hearing that when you're listening to an Alan Bennett monologue or, or, or a bit of Monty Python or something. And you're learning it. And it's got a lot in common with the way that as a teenager, maybe, you might listen to a song yeah. again and again and again and learn the chords and then eventually become a musician. Yeah. Or you're learning it by repetition. Like the way I learned the guitar, listening to the radio, listening to the Top 40 and play along with all the songs on the top 40 until you worked out how they worked. Yes. And it's a similar kind of brain to, to that, I suppose. Well, also, it's, it is escapism, too, because um, as a teenager, mostly, you're not very con- content with where you are <laughs> or who you are or what you are or where you're going. You know, it's, it's a world of unresolvedness and discomfort. <laughs> You and want to so be anywhere else. Yeah, you do. I mean, not every teenager has that, but I think that's a common experience. And then if you've got this this world to go into, which is uh, comfortable and, and hilarious yeah. um, and interesting, it, it makes you think, the fact that I kind of like the idea of working in a surgical hospital 
in Korea in the early 50s. Ooh. I would have preferred to do that, right, than be in my house in Scotland when I was a teenager, you know. Um, it says two things. One, that it wasn't a particularly happy household in Scotland. And two, my idea of what a surgical hospital in the early 50s would have been in Korea. In my world, you just, you just had a great laugh and all the nurses were giggly and, and fun. And you also had martini that you could drink and you had your best friend in the tent with you. And it was a wonderful world. And you were also saving people's lives. But Yeah, and whenever they changed a colonel too, the man in charge, it, you, it was as good or better. Yeah. Um, you would expect, oh, no, you won't be able to, you know, make Henry better. And then uh, there was that guy who came along afterwards, the very small kind of terrier-type yeah. fella, and he was as good. And 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 once, um, who was the kind of uh, baddie? When, Major Charles Winchester. Yeah, yeah, he came in it to replace um, Major Burns, didn't yeah. he? And he was as good. And they yeah. regenerated, it was Tom Baker next. Yeah, and Tom, then, Tom and Baker, Timothy Colonel Dalton, Tom Baker. And Timothy Dalton. And it was Timothy Dalton, and then it was the new Wombles. <laughs> <laughs> different times the 70s different, different times. times so different you haven't needs. brought mash in to show us even I though brought some that, mash in because I thought we'd get peckish yeah, halfway well, through I thought we might have a look at uh, or listen to and think about the ruttles yes because um, we actually we all three of us are uh, fans aren't we huge fans and yes. we went to a gig actually uh, two weeks before this is being recorded was recorded well go ahead of me what you thought of that gig it was really moving mm, it was great. i cried mm. it was just lovely there was a um david quantic uh, went to see them the rattles on tour and said i'd rather see the rattles than see the beatles because he said there's more love, oddly, for the Beatles in a room full of Ruttles fans than there would be watching Paul McCartney play Let It Be for the 90th time. That is a very good point, actually. Well, I thought we might start with why the Ruttles, because this was put to me by my sister a couple of weeks ago. So I was around her house and been to see the Ruttles, and um, she's indifferent about the Beatles. Yeah, that's right. And she was going, well... <laughs> and she said, all the, all the Ruttles seem to do is songs that are a bit like the Beatles, basically, what is the point? Obviously, I have disowned her since. <laughs> but I thought about it, and I, I thought, well, you know, you do have to be a Beatles fan to start with. But I, I think... Why Why it's worthwhile is the Beatles... Ruttles songs are made of the same building blocks as Beatles songs, I think. Mm. They're basic building blocks musically as the Beatles. And the, the cement of them is the same kind of love and care and sense of celebration and joy and, and humour as well um, that the Beatles used when they, were, when they were doing their stuff. So it's not just mockery. It's a little alternative bubble universe... Uh, mm, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Where these were the hits in the Where multiverse. These, this was the jukebox that you had. Ouch, you're breaking my heart. Ouch. Hey, Rutlandwood Gun Television, not many people remember that. That's, that's uh, 1975, mm. um, and it was Eric Idle's first solo thing after the, the, the last Python uh, series in, uh, in 74. So it's a local TV station representing Rutland, which is the smallest historic county in the UK. It's about 18 square miles. <laughs> so you know, you'd be, your, your audience would be something like 30,000 people. And apparently <laughs> it, it, was, it was actually made on a shoestring budget. Um, it they, it they, certainly looks like it. Well, it does. They didn't hide it. But they didn't, get, they didn't get a light entertainment budget for it, I found out. They got a, what was called a presenter budget. So oh. it, was, it was for, say, a consumer programme or, or a local news programme. So what um, Idol had to do was actually make that the strength of the programme. So they're always oh. making a reference to the fact that... Uh, 
you know, the scenery's falling down and, and everything's done on the cheap. And it was. The, the studio was more or less a, um, a weather report studio. <laughs> and, and they had storage areas underneath that they'd have to sort of bring all the new set into <laughs> while they went off and changed into their um, costume in another part of the building. And uh, I was quite angry about that, actually. I think he felt a bit uh, underappreciated because he didn't get the full thing. I watched one yesterday, actually, because I hadn't seen one since it first went out. And not surprisingly, it does feel a bit sub-Python because it's, <laughs> it it's just one of them. Uh, it's just got the idle voice all the way through. And that kind of made me realise one of the strengths of, of Python was how different all the voices mm, were, yeah, all yeah. the constituent parts gave that such a kind of rich feel. The Ruttles was first a sketch in 75. Uh, Neil Innes came up with the song, I Must Be In Love. But it wasn't, he didn't write it as a pastiche, did he? He just wrote the song and then went, that sounds a bit beatly, it doesn't it? It sounds a bit beatly, yeah. And he went to, there were different versions of this from Mr Innes and Mr Idle. Um, this is going to be a theme, I think, yes. of, of our discussion, is that the, the ownership of the Ruttles is a disputed baby yes of course what is the subjective truth perhaps we'll <laughs> never we, know can we ever know um but anyway at the same time eric idle had had this idea about doing a spoof on the kind of earnest television reporter that was about at the same time so they decided to marry the two and do this a little mini documentary his his presenter was the kind that spoke like this so um so they put that in the in the program and Idle apparently came up with the name The Ruttles, just to keep it in that little parochial world of Rutland Weekend Television. Apparently, Neil didn't want that as a name, but, you know, it was Eric's Silver show. So the Silver <laughs> Ruttles, yeah. Now, I can't imagine that any comedy nerds would be listening to this podcast, but let me just tell you <laughs> that the lineup we all know of The Ruttles is Neil Innes playing the character Ron Nasty, which is Lennon, uh, Eric Idle playing Dirk McQuickly, which is McCartney. Ricky Fatar playing Sniggle Hara, which is uh, Harrison. And John Halsey playing Barry Wom, which is Ringo. Now, get this. Did you two know that in the original sketch in 1975, the lineup was in his playing the Lennon character Ron, John Halsey playing Ringo character Barry, David Batley played the McCartney character, which was then called Stig. Oh. And Idle played the Harrison character, which was initially called Dirk. Oh. Which is interesting, isn't it? Scrambled it up. Yeah, that's it. And plus, uh, oh, hello, there's the, the truth police, the nerd police <laughs> are coming to get us now. <laughs> plus, plus, in the original sketch, the Ruttles came from Rutland. And it wasn't until um, they later uh, that they uh, relocated their origin to uh, Liverpool. A uh, year or so later, Idol appears on Saturday Night Live in America, shows clips from Rutland Weekend Television, including the Ruddles item and the producer Lorne Michaels, who's still producing it, isn't he? Yeah, Saturday so Night Live. Yeah. He's 5,000 years old. He turns out, I didn't realise this, he turns up in the Ruttles film. Yeah. He plays the merch guy who's giving yeah. them all the Ruttle rubbish. Yeah. But anyway, he said, why not do a whole hour long documentary? And also, he said, do it here and NBC will give you the money. And after the Rutland Weekend Television Money Idol must have just bitten his hand off. It was off. half a million dollars, I think, which is unprecedented for that amount. That's yeah. American TV money. And I think he said that if he'd gone to the BBC, they would have given him about 30, 30 grand. Wow, yeah. Well, they, that's why it's so good, you see. That's why it looks so good. Yeah, yeah. So they made it two years later. All you need is cash, it was called. It must have been a great honour meeting the Queen. Yeah, it must have been. What did she ask you? She asked us who we were. And what did you say? I said I was him. I felt more like him than me. Do you feel better after seeing the Queen? No, you feel better after seeing the Doctor. When, when's the last time you watched All You Need Is Care? You watched it I watched it last then? night. Did you? Yeah. What do you think then? I'm, I, I really like it. Yeah. There's loads of stuff that's in, in its favour. What's great about it, I think the ultimate great thing about it, is it is about one hour 15 long, mm. which is the perfect length for a comedy film. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It's about the same length as Spinal Tap. Right. Weirdly, it's about that 115, 120. Yeah. And it's not got any uh, flab in it, and it's... Uh, as David Quantic once said, well, the, the classic Oxbridge form for any uh, film is a load of sketches in a row hung over someone else's story, which right. is what Life of Brian is and The Holy Grail is. And this is the Beatles story yeah. with a load of Eric Idle sketches strung together. And it ends up working as a story because the Beatles story... It is, an ama it is an amazing story. The actual story of the Beatles and what they went through is just follows all the classic 
myth lines. It's just, you know, the discovery and and losing themselves and finding themselves. It's just absolutely fantastic. So it is a, a very good sort of structure to hang the whole thing on. But that's very good, uh, David, uh, putting it that way. Sketches, you know, and hang them on a story. Have you seen it recently, Jason? A couple of years ago, I think it was the last time I yeah. watched it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I've seen Rutland Weekend Television since then, actually. What do you, I, what do you think? Did it? Um, I quite I quite like verbal humour, and Eric Idle is largely verbal. Yeah. So there's lots of, even in All You Need Is Cash, there's lots of, that's famously where the line, um, a legend that will last a lunchtime, yeah. uh, he, was, he penned that. I think that was the first time that joke's been done, and I think I've heard everybody do that fucking line at some point or other. It's very unfashionable. Idle was my favourite Python for ages, mm. because it was so wordy, and I was learning, like you were saying, the rhythms of, of how to write. And he was the one who seemed to be a solo writer and who seemed to be in command of words. He was the verbal one who did great long riffs and great long speeches and was very talky. Um, Man who talks in anagrams, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought he it? was very clever. And I loved, I loved the verbal dexterity of it. And I thought he was my little hero for a bit. And it's very strange because he's become the unfashionable Python that everyone's mean about now. But mm. I think the nice thing about All You Need Is Cash is it's very funny. It's very loving. What it's got in it that I think is brilliant is that it's a pastiche Obviously, Ennis's songs we will talk about as a separate thing. Yeah. There's so much love for the Beatles in it, and it is a love letter from someone from the 60s to the rest of his generation. It's a baby boomer love letter to say, weren't we amazing? Because mm. he's mates with Harrison, and he's mates with all these people, and he wants to be a rock star, and they're all hanging out together. So it's not a parody. He doesn't want to make these people... He doesn't want to destroy the Beatles. He wants to celebrate them. He wants you to watch this documentary and listen, and Innes wants you to listen to these songs, and he wants you to love them more. Because actually, and in it, you've got lovely things that like Michael Palin plays Derek Taylor, the Beatles press agent. And Palin was a mate of Derek Taylor's, so he's doing an impression of his mate. Suddenly, everyone became amazingly litigious. It's like a rag week stunt where everyone in the school gets <laughs> to play the teachers. Oh, I get to be a Beatle now. Yeah. And they're all dressing up as each other and George Harrison's dressing up as a python to be a pretend funny interviewer. And when you realise it's just a great big stunt of them all enjoying each other's company and celebrating what they all did, yeah. it's got a warmth that a lot of pastiche or, or mockumentary films don't have. They're a bit bitter. Yeah. They don't really like... I'm not sure that, I don't know, Christopher Guest really loves dog shows. <laughs> <laughs> the best in show is a great film but I know that everyone involved in this loved each other Yeah, and if you're going to do something about the Beatles where it's all about as you said companionship the warmth of people having a giggle together yeah. visually it's great it's mm. so it's, well directed I mean, it's really, it's really well directed yeah and it's very well edited as well and there's really good attention to, to detail you were saying when you saw it you know you almost saw it before you knew anything about the Beatles yeah um, well, weirdly, you know, it was only made eight years after the Beatles had actually split. <laughs> mm. They're all still alive. There's a chance that they could still get back together again. And we Beatles fans, all Beatles fans, are used to having had years and years of availability of, of stuff to be able to pour over all the old footage and the outtakes and the deleted scenes. And, but in 1978, your visual reference was what Kate went out on the telly and, and they were usually the same old clips. And all the other stuff was, was in private collections or in vaults yeah. or attics. And that was it. And I think because this goes out of the normal material that was available then, when I found out that George Harrison, who was right behind this project, as you say, they were all pals, um, was completely behind the project and he gave them a copy, gave... Uh, idol a copy of a documentary about the Beatles provisionally entitled The Long and Winding Road which had been hanging around since 1971 yeah. which Neil Aspinall had compiled and you know it's a load of stuff that wasn't out there and that's why it looks kind of ahead of the curve as far as what people people knew well, of the Beatles Well there are individual shots where they directly obviously they do Hard Day's Night and things but there's, there's a, a lovely shot in the back of a taxi which is copied from the Maisels Brothers documentary about the Beatles yeah. arriving in New York and Gary Weiss who, who directed this had worked with the Mosels brothers, so yeah. he, probably, he may even have done the original shot. So the guys directing this made some of this slightly obscure footage in the first place. So yeah. again, it's they're all celebrating stuff they've all done together. That's almost it's, a word for word reproduction, isn't it? Yeah, because it's with then, Bill, it's, Bill Murray's on the yeah, radio. Yeah, yeah, being Bill, Murray, the Bill Murray, Bill Murray, the oh, first I've heard of it. There's all that Bill, stuff. You forget that that was something that passed me by. Bill Murray's in this fucking film. It's <laughs> yeah. extraordinary, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? All the Saturday Night Live guys are in it. I think uh, there's a, a, a detail that Eric Idle's wife 
lived in a flat in New York with Dan Aykroyd. So when they interviewed Dan Aykroyd, that's just in Dan Aykroyd's flat where Eric Idle's missus lives. Right. So basically they're all mates, they're all hanging out together. So again, it feels like an end-of-term prank. They're mostly, I mean, the costumes are brilliant. Oh, one of the yeah. really shocking reveals in this, because obviously uh, the the strange change of that's happened to people's attitude to Eric Idle in that people now go, well, really, is he the, the American one, the, the one who... Um, that when he plays Stanley J. Cramerhead III, his <laughs> fake Californian rock expert, which is a brilliant turn, that's his real hair. That is and his it, real hair And there. the rest of the documentary, he's wearing a wig to look like the, the presenter and, and to look like a beetle. And you go, oh, yeah, there he is, that crazy American dude. That's the Eric Idle you're going to become. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code SUMMER. But when he does that bit, as you say, that's an amazing turn. Is he? Was his name Hammer? Stanley J. Kramer heard the third. Right. Okay. Now, if Isn't there a wasn't... junior after it as well, I think Stanley yes. J. Kramer heard the third junior. Yeah. <laughs> if that wasn't on auto cue, what he actually says, then I'd quite frankly, that's mind blowing. Well, because... because that's that lovely, basically and uh, musically, it was that speech, it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Idol can do that. Idol can reel off. 
reams of words. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny beast, this film, because it's it's got two dads. It's got Eric Idle, who's doing the comedy and running it as a concept. And it's got a collaborator he works with, which is Neil Innes, who gives it... You can look at it from two angles. You can look at it just as a load of great songs. You can listen to the album. And it's musically, musicologically, it's a whole different... But they're two things running at the same time. And it's a very, very high watermark of collaboration. And I was watching it last night and thinking, there's a funny thing about Idol because he's a solo writer and a solo performer. He's the only one of the Pythons, apart from Gilliam, who works on his own. And he weirdly has enormous high watermarks in his career when he collaborates. When he collaborates with the Pythons, when he collaborates with Andre Jackman to make the albums, when he... Uh, collaborates with Kate Hepburn and Derek Birdsall to do the books everything he's done that's brilliant has been done with someone else hmm. and he's a lone guy who works with other people and I wonder whether he finds that a bit hard because he's a man on his own which explains why he whenever he's interviewed he talks about the Ruttles as if he did it on his own and I listened to his commentary track on the DVD and he mentions Neil Innes 40 minutes in Does he? and he's mentioned Everyone. He's mentioned Gwen Taylor, who plays mm. uh, Iris Mountbatten. And when he gets to Innes, he remembers him and gives it wonderfully complimentary. But I do wonder whether sometimes he wishes he'd done it on his own. Because he's a songwriter and he's a musician. And Innes seems to have tossed these songs off so effortlessly. Yes. I bet it's maddening to be sitting next to him while he does this. And go, How are you doing this? There must be professional well, he, um, maybe maybe it is. I mean, there's a, there's a documentary about the Pythons, isn't it? And it's quite interesting about him going to a, a boarding school idol. Uh, really? where, where he was not happy at all hmm. and it was very competitive and he had a rather disparaging headmaster and uh, it's sort of all these years later he was going you know they, they used to say to me you know idle by name idle by nature but I'm the one who left with five fucking A levels he's, kind of, he's a hard worker he's a grafter yeah. all that stuff's in him um, and, but I find it fascinating that, that there's a sort of grudging acceptance that this film which is absolutely brilliant this project this an extended project that's ended up with him playing live was the work of of two terrific hands sets of hands and you want to sort of scream and say this is one of the most beautiful marriages of of minds Mm. to to make a single pastiche Mm. i think they are Mm. they are cloudy waters if you have a little sort of delve into it as to what went on there And and i think it's a it's a real shame you know you always hear one side of the story and then the other you have to make up your own mind about it but it it wasn't um sweetness and light i I don't think it has always been um about the ruttles which is a real shame but it's funny actually because you know i have listened to uh, uh the ruttles music infinitely more times than I've watched the film there's absolutely no doubt about it and watching it last night I was finding the um, thread of that reporter was getting on my nerves a bit after a while (laughs) because there's only so many times you can have that joke going on before it becomes and and it's 40 years old some of the gags some of the beats are well worn. So some of yeah. the so some of the humour, you know, because we've you know it's forty years old. It's not its fault, but it, it shows its age here and there. But the music doesn't. The music keeps going. A glass of wine with Gertrude Stein. I know I'll never share, but I don't mind. That's just the kind of cross each man must bear. I'm on my way. I cannot stay another day. There's a way of doing parody where you point out how something's done mm. and it makes you go, oh, now I can say it's done. I don't want to enjoy the original again because it looks cheap. I, there's that the South Park episode where they, they take the piss out of Family Guy mm. and they show the mechanics. They're quite cynical about how mechanically some Family Guy jokes are done. Mm. And it makes Family Guy hard to enjoy again, even though it's right. a show. And that, I would say, is a parody, a destructive parody, whereas what the, what the Ruttles are doing is a, is a pastiche of the Beatles that makes you love the Beatles more. And the story that Idol tells makes you love the Beatles story more. Yeah. I think that I, I, my love of the Beatles has been massively improved by having the Ruttles yeah. in my life. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's, it's a beautiful companion to it. And it does. It, it, it fluffs it up. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, watching the, the Beatles film, liked it as well, didn't they? Yeah, the I Beatles think loved largely. It. I think McCartney has never said whether he liked it or not. Linda, Linda McCartney liked yeah. it. John, John, and, John and Yoko apparently liked uh, do it. What's it? <coughs> na- nasty and chastity. Yes. The, the strange sort of Gwen Taylor is the simple German shepherd girl whose father invented World War Two. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Good joke. That's uh, it. Uh, but yeah, but he was he was Lennon wouldn't give back his. Uh, 
his advance copy of the film That's, and yep. uh, record. <laughs> yep. But he he really really loved it. Ringo didn't like it past 1968 when it all got a bit unhappy. Oh, uh, and George, that's, you know, that's heartbreaking. That is a bit it? heartbreaking because oh. what's happening there is that Ringo didn't like things after 1968 when they got a bit sad for when Ringo. They all get a bit you know? sad, you know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's just, that's a pastiche that contains within its prism the essence of the original to the extent that one of the people involved in the original can't even enjoy the joke because yeah. <laughs> everyone else is going, "What a lovely way to look at our history." I, I was reminded how much I loved them all falling under the spell of Surrey Mystic yeah. uh, Arthur Sultan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, who was obviously a very thinly veiled Maharishi but and they're, they're, Ron Nasty's all... poetry book Out Me Head oh, yeah. I, I made a note saying as they as they pull out on the rostrum shot there of Out Me Head and, and credit to I think it Basil Powell did all the graphic design for the album and who's the, the, the photographer who went around the world with Michael Palin when, he's an oh, old mate yeah, yeah. Python's a really good graphic designer and, and photographer um, and they pull out from the shot of, of uh, Neil Innes dressed as John Lennon to the cover of the book and I was trying to remember what the real book was called, and I still can't remember. I can only remember that John Lennon wrote a book called Out of My Head. Well, just funny. It's like because they replace the real thing. Well, in that's your head. The, you They're were so at the good. gig. You were at the gig with me, and and they were playing Love Life, mm. uh, which is their take on All You Need Is Love. And you lent and said, I can't remember how the original sounds. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes they replace them. It's a bit. Mark Lewis and the uh, Beatles scholar said about Magical Mystery Tour. He said, Oh, some people are rude about Magical Mystery Tour, but he said it's more Beatles. Whatever it is, mm. it's more Beatles. Yeah. And weirdly, I look at the Ruttles and go, it's more Beatles. More Be- it's it's that missing... I sometimes fantasise digging through vinyl crates that I'll find another Beatles album. <laughs> I think it would be between Rubber Soul and Revolver. And weirdly, what the Ruttles is, is some more Beatles songs? It'd be between, what would it be called? Between Rubber Soul and Revolver. Would it begin with R? <laughs> <laughs> they got to an alphabetical Did they do them point. alphabetically? Yeah, yeah they well, did. We forget because Sergeant Pepper comes. It works, yeah. Yeah, only, Zetty only B briefly. was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, ah! What was that? <laughs> ah, is the beer. What was that book called? The, the uh, Spaniard the in the Works. No, no, in his own right. In his own right, In his own right. Yeah, that's weirdly, it. I think Out of Me Head is a better title. Some people say uh, you've been staying away from Liverpool, now you're famous. Oh, we haven't been staying away so much, it's not coming here. Uh, some people say six months since you came back here. Well, that's just the sort of thing some people would say. Nevertheless, it has been six months. Now you're saying it, why don't you ask me where I've been? Where have you been? I'm not telling you. God. <laughs> oh, can we just also say, because we've been saying how lovely Neil Innes' songs are, he's not someone who gets cast in things as a sketch actor or an actor. Mm. But in this, he's as good at being Lennon as Ian Hart is. He is just Lennon. I heard that he appeared on Saturday Night Live doing Cheese and Onions, the Russell yeah. song. Yeah. And people have a false memory that John Lennon was on SNL right. because he's so good. He's just... There's a odd hero worship in his relationship with Lennon. Clearly, he yeah. sort of wants to be Lennon and has the musical chops to and, have been Lennon. And, and it, kind of facially, he's a little there, isn't yeah, he? The kind of eyes as well. So It's lovely to watch. Every time you see a shot of him, the look in his eyes is the same. Yeah. He, he does old Lennon, young Lennon. He's got them all yeah, in yeah. him. Having, having um, got the go-ahead to do the hour-long special, in his, I didn't realise this, he had just a few months to come up with 20 songs. Uh, I think it was about six months, a bit longer. So he had to do 20 parodies of Beatles songs from the early Hamburg days right up to the breakup. He used four main musicians besides himself. Ricky Fatar, who was a renowned session guitarist, new who was to play Stig O'Hara. He'd been with the Beach Boys. Yeah, he'd been with the Beach Boys Boys, as well. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, John Halsey on drums, um, uh, Barry Wom. A guy called Andy Brown on bass. I can tell you nothing about Andy. And another guitarist called uh, Ollie Halsall. Have you heard of this guy? Uh, More nerdy musings here. Ollie had been in a psychedelic pop band with John Halsey in 1967 called Time Box. And I down- this is the Pete Frame Rock Family it's, Trees this is bit. It. I downloaded some Time Box. It's really good. It's kind is of it? weird combination of slightly trippy acid rock and very commercial bubblegum pop. Right. And it, it's have a little listen. It's good. Anyway, this Ollie guy turns out to be a really underrated guitarist in the 1970s, played with a band called Boxer, Kevin Ayres, among others. He sang all the Dirt Quickly tracks. Um, i.e. Paul McCartney tracks like Double Back Alley and so Idol uh, is miming another day so Idol had nothing to do with it musically whatsoever no. never played on anything and never sang on anything he's completely miming and he actually was down to play the McCartney Dirk role but 
Idol snaffled it for himself. Um, who doesn't want to be in the Beatles? That's the who problem. Who doesn't here. want to be in the Beatles? Yeah. yeah. I love you. I love. I love. It's you. I love. F. D. 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 Wasn't there a problem with Get Up and Go? Didn't Didn't John tell Neil Innes, that's a bit close to Get Back, you've got to be yeah. careful, so that didn't appear on the first release of the album? It didn't, but it was on the 1990, but, and there was there was a suing, wasn't there? There was ATV songs got AT- furious and... Do, I, Demanded the credit be Lennon McCartney uh, Innes on yeah. all the tracks. Wow, I'd have taken they, that, wouldn't they, you? They, well, <laughs> if you're in Innes, you get to be in not even in the Beatles. You get to be in Lennon and McCartney. But you, There's very but few but spaces he, in Lennon. He ended and McCartney. up getting fifty percent royalties of the songs that he wrote, though. That's yeah. the thing about it, which is a, seems a bit yeah, unfair. That, that I, is unfair. That I is. mean, it, that's pure business, and you sort of you do wonder, especially. <laughs> Lennon, I think, generously said, be careful, you're not going to get away with this. Now, he probably recently was remembering being stung by Chuck Berry for yeah. uh, for uh, Come Together. Which yes, is, of course, uh, that would have been... And yeah. about that time was was Harrison with She's Might He's So little, Fine, was that yeah, about yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 1970? They're getting in trouble with people borrowing things. Because obviously, it's a muddy area, music pastiche and things, but everyone's influenced by someone. But this is openly saying all these songs are based on your songs. So you're kind of sitting right in the firing line of people who... Obviously, it's ATV songs who own this. It's not. Yeah. It's not the Beatles who own them. And the Beatles were going, "Be careful! You're going to get in trouble with." And at the time, the Beatles know that the lawyers are big bastards. Yeah, they're surrounded by them. Yeah, yeah. And they've yeah. just had been in constant tussle with them since 1969, nearly ten years. Um, anyway, then in 1996, uh, mirroring the Beatles anthology, and it's got together with Halsey and uh, Fatar, and they recorded another 16 or so tracks. Again, covering the big, complete span of the Beatles' musical development. And that's got some amazing songs on it, too. Mm. Well, we were saying that I I think the thing that when Archaeology came out, which is the follow-up album, again, don't object, it's more Beatles, it's more (laughs) Ruttles, it's more stuff. There's some great tracks on there, but I think what people misunderstood about that is it's not done in chronological order or anything. So it's sort of a bit scattershot, it's all over the place. What it sounds like is solo Beatles, a lot of it. Mm. Some of it doesn't necessarily sound exactly like the Beatles, but my God, it sounds like... Red Rose Speedway, mm. and it sounds like Imagine or Living in the Material World. There's some really good solo Beatle pastiches. Part of your wishes that he'd sort of just said that's what it was, because I'd love to hear another album of, of, of him doing each of their solo careers. Yeah. I mean, the Barry Wom album's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, on, on Archaeology, as it was called, he does do a solo pastiche, actually, in that he does that one that's a, a parody of Free as a Bird, uh, which is called Don't Know Why. Oh. And if you listen to it, it's it sounds like uh, Innes has made a tape recording of his own voice <laughs> in the flat and they've built all the tracks around it. Oh. It's really, really That's good. a complete gag. There's so many of those, where the, the musically, I mean, musicologically, uh, he's done jokes that are not only funny jokes about the Beatles and they're familiar to a, a, a casual listener, but jokes at the depth of how the songs are written. Yes. Jokes. He's imagined well, himself back into that yeah. world and said, okay, he's not just copied the chords. He said, imagine yeah. I'm in Abbey Road on this day and I'm this guy. How would I do it? And he, he apparently did them all from memory. He didn't listen to the Beatles. Yeah, he no, said he didn't it, listen to the Beatles before writing the songs because yes. he wanted basically a version of the Beatles that he had stored somewhere in his head, not something that really nailed a very specifically to Beatles. That is probably, given it, you know, the beauty that it has, uh, the fact that it is, is quite often quite impressionistic. The thing about it was... The Ruttles are is a product of love, you know. Uh, what you've got in those songs is, uh, at worst, a kind of a gentle ribbing. Because, as you've said, there were there were mates. Innes and the Beatles were hanging out in the sixties. Uh, they were not like they were close bosom buddies, but, but the you know, Bonzos they, are in Magical Mystery. Yeah, too. yeah. They're, they're allowed yeah. to be in Beatles films. Yeah, yeah they shared they shared the same sense of humour. They're into proper surreal stuff. Paul McCartney produced "I'm the Urban Spaceman," yep. didn't he, with Gus Dudgeon? Yep. Yeah, as Apollo see the Vermouth. Um, <laughs> But the songs, there is two, there's a two-pronged element, isn't there? Or there's one element with two prongs, 
or you could say it's a case of two separate elements with a single prong. I don't. I, I, we could argue, but <laughs> the lyrics. Count at the end. I'm trying to draw this thing now. Come <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, it's, it's an Escher. Uh, first of all, li- the lyrics. Right, lyrics. Funny for a number of reasons. I think they're witty parodies for a start. Yep. Uh, Innis gets the sort of simplistic, gooey ghostness of the early lyrics. If you think about something like Love Me Do, right, put them out of context. Love, love me do. You know I love you. I'll always be true, so please love me do. And that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the actual lyric. Mm. Uh, and I think that's why those Peter Sellers spoken word renderings yeah. work so well. You know, Hard Day's Night. You've got some fairly mundane lyrics delivered with full alleviation. Gravitas. Gravitas. Mm. It has been a hard day's night. <laughs> I have been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. Uh, equals funny. And then the Ruttles have got number one. Number one, number one, you're my number one. You're my second to none. You're my number one. One and one is two, and I'll look after you, number one, number one. So it's <laughs> great. It's great. But again, I was going to say, he's inhabited the character. He said, right, okay, you've got to write a song, and you've never written a song before. Yeah. Oh, the joy of the Beatles is they're inventing pop music as they go along, or modern pop music. Yeah. So at the beginning, they're not very sophisticated. They're, yeah. they're working with really crude tools. Yes. And he goes from there all the way up to the but full psychedelic it. stuff. Yeah, you follow, you, you, he follows how they developed. Um, so, but he even man- he manages to find some of the same satisfaction that you get from Beatles songs in Ruttles songs. So, yeah. for instance, you know, the 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 moment where Hey Jude comes to the end of the uh, the lyric and just heads into Nah 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 Nah, nah. You know, it's great, really satisfying moment. Just as satisfying is. Do I have to spell it out? C H E E S E A N D. It's great. One that, that always gets me is a glass of wine with Gertrude Stein. I know I'll never share. Oh God, a glass of wine with Gertrude Stein. I know I'll never share. But I don't mind because that's the kind of cross each man must bear. And all the rhymes are in the middle of the line. Yeah, yeah. All the eind lines. And you go, God, that's just. If Lennon had written that, he'd be delighted with it. If McCartney had written, he'd be delighted with it. You've got this bar to hit, and you're being as witty. And the joke with some of the lyrics is you've aimed to hit this very high bar. And you've gone too far. You've got stupid. So there's that, that lovely hook line. You're so pusillanimous. Oh, yeah. Which is just... <laughs> You're so pusillanimous. Oh, um, yeah. Nature's calling and I must go there. And that's <laughs> McCartney's slap on the back. I'm really happy I've got this to fit over. That is the best pastiche of how happy he was at being so adept at being so good at music. Yeah. And the way he's done it is by being as adept and as good at music as McCartney yep. and going, yeah, this is just an expression of delight. And and also, he's got an angle on all kinds of things that they did with the lyrics. If you take stuff like Harrison's Eastern noodlings, <laughs> mm. that you're hearing things like Within You and Without You, which to my ears are kind of like inoffensive cosmic platitudes. But Innes comes in with Nevertheless. Right, which in itself is a word that means you're about to go on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the lyrics says, yeah. Life goes on, it only goes to show, it's not my cup of tea, it's all the same to me, for we are here today and gone tomorrow, nevertheless, make the most of it, nevertheless. <laughs> Nevertheless, and on it goes. Nevertheless, and you know, you'd have thought that Harrison could have taken exception to that, but he obviously didn't. <laughs> well, he, he loved it to the extent. Apparently, it became again. We as 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 fans start mistaking Beatles stuff for Ruttle stuff. But apparently, Harrison said in interview a couple of times, "Yeah, we had a couple of cups of tea before we met Elvis." Which is in the Ruttles, yeah. they replaced drugs with cups of tea. He started calling it's taking calling joints it. cups of tea. Yeah. He's mistaken his life for a Ruttle. <laughs> and he was in the Beatles. start and I begin. He was in the Beatles and he's still, he's forgotten being in the Beatles and mistaken himself for a Ruttle. <laughs> I 
and but also as as well as the parody, there's just good gags in there. You get Penny Lane's rosy tinted bit of nostalgia, and then it says Double Back Alley with the line Double Back Alley takes me back, and in my mind I see happy smiling faces if I flog my memories <laughs> and just great gags. But sometimes the lyrics could easily be a Beatles lyric. Um, so lyrics, the one prong of the thing, one of the prongs of the two things. <laughs> And uh, then the music. music Hang on, I'll start drawing it again. Now. <laughs> have, you, have you got your four-dimensional pen? <laughs> <laughs> the Ruttles songs—they're not—they're just catchy and they're beautiful and they're really well crafted. All of that, but they're actually musical witticisms. Yes, I find. they're, they're yes. musical jokes. And sometimes you think, well, that that bit's from there and that's from there. If, it's for, more for, than collage, though. It's not just stuck together. No, because that would be clever if you if you did. There's that period where sort of mashups, or the Love album, basically, where you sort of mm. you've got all these two songs kind of fit together, and you do a mashup. They're more than that because they're not the same chords. They remind you of those chords. There's, yeah. there's very few. I mean, it's so unfair that he lost the publishing rights to these because what he hasn't done is what you normally get sued for, which is direct lifts and borrowings of melody, line, and 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 lyric. Mm. He hasn't done any of that. He's done something so much cleverer which is to remind you of those songs, have the essence of those songs, without ever borrowing anything that is legally troubling apart from possibly get up and go but yeah sometimes he'll he'll use a tiny little you know one bar or two bar for example in shangri-la there is um the little bit of the horn solo from for no one but um at other times well i just think of that song uh, i love you and that doesn't sound like any particular specific beatles song but it sounds like something between help and rubber yeah. soul and could easily have been written by John Lennon in 1965. It mm. is absolutely gorgeous. Is that why, I mean, one of the reasons, we talk about why things are funny and how they work. I mean, the, the wit of these, and they are very, very witty songs. Um, you say that the film's humour sometimes is dated a bit because the tropes have become well-worn, the mockumentary. This is before Spinal Tap. It's quite an early mockumentary. Um, but the jokes of the music has lasted. And that's even though doing funny music is almost impossible. There are very few, we took so this again, people try and do funny songs. Mm. And funny songs are hard. And Randy Newman, maybe Tom Lehrer, mm. that you can listen to again and again and again and still have funny. Usually the joke is the thing that, that, that wears out first. Yeah. But because I suppose the joke of these is they remind you of the, the best songs ever written. Yeah. So that's a joke people we'll are still old. listening to Funky Moped by Jasper Carrot, are they? <laughs> I think you're, you make a big assertion there that I think we need to be just, we need to check some figures on this. I reckon. podcast. <laughs> is everyone listening to Funky Moped? <laughs> but I think in, a, in a way, Eric Idle has managed to make Always Look on the Bright Side of Life is a funny song that has had a life that's, that people listen to again and again and again. But again, I sort of think, well, that joke on that wears thin a lot quicker. Yeah than the joke of uh, in Ouch. And Ouch is a big, silly, funny song that I don't tire of listening to. He's got the, he's got the best mix, though, hasn't he? They are in themselves great songs, and if they, they're fantastic songs, and they've got a funny lyric as well. And so you can almost blot out the joke bit if you don't want to listen to that and just listen to how well it's played and how beautifully it's put together. Is the essence here something quite... I'm going to get a little bit lovey-dovey about this. Is it that these are done with glee? Everyone's enjoying themselves. Everyone's had the chance to be in the Beatles. Yeah. And whereas a lot of comedy songs, the joke is you've got an upbeat song with a downbeat lyric or a cynical lyric or a rude word at the end of it or at the end of the line you build towards an unexpected word which is a swear word or the word balm. Or how mm. you structure a comic song is it tends to be uplifting and then there's a bit of cynicism at the end of it to give you the bite to get the joke. And that never happens in a Ruttle song. What the joke is, is that the next line's more joyous than the previous line. Yeah. That oddly, they're so full of happiness. It reminds me of that lovely anecdote when Beatles Rock Band came out for the PlayStation, the Guitar Hero game. <laughs> and Paul McCartney was interviewed, he was promoting it. I said, so have you played the game? And he went, no, I was in the Beatles. I don't need to pretend to be in the Beatles. The only man on earth who doesn't want to be in the Beatles. And the joy of this is the sound of Neil Innes, and to a certain extent Eric Idle, having a chance to be in their favourite band. Yeah. Dress up. Yeah. It's just dressing up time. Yeah, and a great time and letting everyone else have a great time as well. Do you have a Ruttle song that you prefer to the original song that it's taking off? I was humming and hoaring about Love Life. I think 
that Let's Be Natural is the best song on the White Album. Oh, yeah. I think it's a better song than Dear Prudence. I think it's so good. Oh, and it could have come out that, that, that summer and it would have made everyone happy. Yeah. Have you got one, Jason? You... Well, what is Cheese and Onion meant to be a pastiche of? It's brilliant, isn't it's, it? We don't know. It's not any one particular song, is it? It's just kind of in in that area. The animation for that, by the way, is apt oh, in the great, film. great, isn't it? The animation for the Cheese and Onion sequence, which is the mock Yellow Submarine. Small is, studios. It's Little Big Films, which is... A, George Parker and Tony White. And I looked them up and I can't find any more credits for them. All I can assume is they probably did work on Yellow Submarine because mm. I know people who did work on Yellow Submarine and every animator in Britain was called out to work on that. Yeah. So the chances are they would have worked on it. The amazing thing when you look at Yellow Submarine is the, how long it takes to make a cartoon film, four years or whatever. Yeah. And Yellow Submarine comes out while the Beatles are still psychedelic. Yeah. So they've come up, they've changed into Sergeant Pepper and they managed to get an animated film out before they've changed their minds and turned into the band. It's just, how did you get a film out that quickly? So yeah, uh, Cheese and Onions, the animation in the film just lifts it and you go, God, they've actually managed to make a cartoon pastiche. It's really close. This, and again, it's... the cartoon pastiche is as good as the Heinz Edelman. Yeah. The big pe- flying false teeth are as good as the flying glove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Visually, it's as inventive as the real thing. It's staying the life at the end, obviously, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. It's, yeah. And it's got a lot of the. It's got some of the tropes from Day in the Life. The dum dum da dum dum yeah, on the yeah, piano yeah. and that kind of thing. A bit of a, mine would be that I actually prefer Barry Wom's "Living in Hope" to um, "Don't Pass Me By." Yes, Yeah. So, uh, Don't Pass Me By is actually a track that I will fast forward. You will pass by. It's just, uh, Even I though Ringo's asked you specially uh, not yeah, to. I will pass it. I'll go, ignore it's a, Ringo. It's a, it's a hard one to love, isn't it, Don't it Pass Me By? It goes on and on and on. That's the thing about it. It's about four minutes long. And, and it should be two. And it should be two. And it's just <laughs> clittery clattery. And uh, the Barry One one, Living in Hope, is funny and it's great. In the confusion, Barry's bride-to-be, 23-year-old butcher's apprentice Brenda Lyola, was accidentally married to a party of Scotsmen from Hull, inspiring Barry's haunting ballad, When You Find the Girl of Your Dreams in the Arms of Some Scotsman from Hull. Just like the real Ringer, he's the heart of the band. This is something that needs to be talked about, about the Beatles being funny. One of the reasons this doesn't feel like a mean pastiche is the Beatles were funny. So you know they don't mind. That's why people like them in the first place. It comes down to George Harrison saying, I don't like your tie yeah. to George Martin. That's the, the currency of them is jokes. When the Americans wanted to photocopy the Beatles and make the monkeys, they didn't photocopy the songwriting process or anything, or even the band lineup. They photocopied the jokes. will make them be as funny as the Beatles, because then you'll mistake the monkeys for the Beatles. Mm. Being funny is in their DNA. And the reason the Beatles are the Beatles is Pete Best wasn't funny and didn't join in. And when he left and Ringo joined, the Beatles become the Beatles because the core of the Beatles is laughing. Yeah, and and it comes. it's a humour that comes from confidence and intelligence. They're smart, smart young men, and they obviously built up their repartee. I mean, I'm constantly, particularly always knocked out by Lennon's wit. But if you want a, you know, a real idea of... The kind of banter they had is that studio outtake of them putting the uh, backing vocals on Think For Yourself. And uh, if you just Google that Think For Yourself studio outtake, it's about a quarter of an hour of them standing around the mic with the headphones on. Obviously, loads of technical stuff to be done for. They can do another take. And it's hilarious. They're, they're just saying what the hell comes into their heads. It's really like being in the room with them, wow. completely off guard. Yeah. And, and it's, they're hilarious. There's a bit where McCartney's pretending to be <laughs> somebody in a, 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 local, um, a local Amdram group. And um, he suddenly becomes this very posh person. He says, well, you know, you're doing all right. And then you keep farting it up. And and it's very funny. And they go into sort of street Liverpool um, preachers. What is this wrath that beholds you? By such favour. By such favour. Okay, let's go. And he called and they bloody well come. Oh, I, yes. I can't go on. I really can't. Come on, let's do this bleeding record. And that big old... And then there was Jesus. Why such fervor? Why such fury? And uh, just have a listen. There was um, 
there's a very, there's a very good Beatles podcast called Something About the Beatles, which I highly recommend, and they did a whole episode about the Beatles' humour. It's great. Lots and lots of great clips in there. The one that I think I hadn't heard before but made me laugh out loud was... Lennon in an interview at the time that they were announcing Apple and Lennon said we just want to we want people to be able to come in and make things he said because like you go into most companies and you walk in there and they show you into the waste paper bin you know <laughs> <laughs> lovely lines like that you know I'd have been pleased with writing that line. He didn't write it, it just came out of his head, you know, he out of my head. kept saying these, he had, he had this way with words that was absolutely amazing. But they all, I mean, Hard Day's Night is something that Ringo said in passing. Yes. It's yeah, a Ringoism. Yeah. Tomorrow and Never Knows, Ringo's World is This is the guy who barely got an education. Yeah. He's, he's the one in the Beatles who is, on paper, the stupid one. Yeah. And they wanted him in the band because he's far from the stupid one. He's bright and sharp and great with words. There's, yeah. a, there's a terrific... I can't think where I've seen this, in which documentary I've seen this, but there's a, there's a documentary um, which shows um, Lennon walking across Central Park with Yoko Ono. And there are some guys playing basketball um, behind a fence. And one, of them, and one of them gets very excited and says, John Lennon, it's John Lennon, man! It's John Lennon! And rushes over to see him and... Uh, and he says, when are the Beatles getting back together, John? And John says, tomorrow. <laughs> what you're talking about with the listening to listening in on their studio chatter, it's the same thing you were talking about with the Lightly Lads. This is a bunch of guys who appear to have a relationship. They've got each other's backs. They're making each other laugh. Mm. They're a gang, and you're eavesdropping and thinking, I want to be in that gang. Yeah. That's why Eric Idle and Neil Innes have made this thing, because they want to be in the Beatles. In the same way as Lennon said, he wanted to be in Monty Python. Mm. I wish I'd been in Monty Python. Yeah. So they, they wanted to be in each other's gangs. Yeah. And that sense of forming a gang you want to be part of is why the Beatles were a huge success but also what's appealing about that is that if you consider what's happening to them and everything um, points towards the fact that they should be taking themselves tremendously serious <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so this this humor is constantly kind of puncturing it yeah and just saying we're not impressed by it basically stay we're, sane. We're, yeah we're not impressed by it you're not going to turn us into what you want us to be and they use it as a brilliant weapon uh, against anybody imposing a kind of identity on them or the way they should be or the way they should view themselves and they just well, take this and they whop them down with a one-liner that just comes out of their head slings it sling it at any interviewer or journalist and it's just so winning <laughs> Well, it's it's almost worth thanking them for that above almost the music, that when they set the template for how to be a band, you can imagine a world without the Beatles, but one of the things that would definitely have happened without the Beatles is that bands would have probably taken themselves more seriously. They set a bar that meant the Stones had to giggle and and, and, and have, a, have a, a laugh with each other, because otherwise you weren't a band, because the Beatles are saying, this is how to be a band, how to be a gang, how to be the toughest gang in town. Before that, how you were in a band is to be tough and moody and yeah. well shot or beautiful or attractive and they are obviously very attractive men but the main thing you've got is that they're having a laugh and so everyone who copies them from the pet shop boys back has to also not take themselves seriously and when a band does take themselves seriously you're allowed to think they're pricks yeah certainly british music enormously benefited from everyone taking the piss out of themselves you'd rather have slade than the doors wouldn't you yeah of course you would god you'd be mad not to want it that <laughs> and way of around. course i mean and once they found pot as well that was it they were off <laughs> they were they couldn't stop laughing for years well, it's it. very giggly does pot doesn't yes it? yes it does an arabis uh, induces all kinds of fits of giggles <laughs> Aren't there, there's a lot of leg jokes in the Ruffles, aren't there? There's Leggy Mountbatten, there's Brian Thigh, there's, oh, I think it was the trousers. Gwen Taylor, by the way, is fucking great, oh, isn't God, she? What good. an actor. She's terrific. Yeah, she is. She's very modern. Yeah. So, so completely non-comedy. She's playing it absolutely straight, very low, very low key. Because she's she chastity looks... and Iris Mountbatten. Oh, so she's well. completely... Oh, I didn't know only, that. Last night watching it, I realised, that's Gwen Taylor out of Duty Free. Right. That's the same lady from the sitcoms. She's just a brilliant actress. You liked it? No, we hated it. Well, what did he like? Well, um, uh, the trousers. So low-key and understated, and, and, and it looks modern. It looks yeah. modern. Everybody else is given a, a little bit of a heightened thing that's yeah. going on there. But mm. uh, She's uh, the opposite of Barry yeah. Cryer's uh, bald wig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
a thing that stands a mile out of this film as the only bit that looks like it's from Rutland Weekend television. God, that really did look like somebody just gone to a joke shop around the corner, didn't it? And whopped it on his head. To pull a string and the sides to go up like a yeah. clown. Yeah. <laughs> Have we done a, a, one of these podcasts where we've not talked about Barry Cry yet? He's been in all of them. Well, well of he's, he's, he he's Zellig, isn't he? He's basically. the DNA of comedy. He is, isn't he? He's always there, isn't he? It's, yes, he's the sort of like the base source. <laughs> <laughs> Primordial soup. He's very much. Which comedy He's writes. very much the softened onions of comedy, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> and he'd be delighted here that we've said that. <laughs> I have I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting Neil Innes and doing uh, recordings with him before for um, Teenage Cancer Trust, and uh, he's he's an absolute diamond. He's just great to hang out with and have a glass of wine and and very up for talking about bonzos and uh, and the ruttles and all that kind of stuff. And and he's you know hanging out with George and stuff like that. It's not like he's, oh, I don't want to talk about the past. Uh, he's great. He's a very warm and uh, likable chap. Yeah. It is, it is time the Innis Book of Records got a proper fucking commercial release. That yeah. was a great series. Yeah, they should bring that back. It's also, good. It's Kevin needs a commercial release. <laughs> well, that was another great maybe, series. Maybe a two-sided DVD. Double Are you side. listening, network? Yeah, where's <laughs> It's Kevin? On And then also, uh, if it, yeah, if you want to just pad the box out with Innis Book of Records, that'll make everyone happy. I remember watching it at the time and thinking, what's this? It's not Monty Python, it's just some songs. And it's making a television programme with someone because they're really, really talented. Mm, yep. And so what they do yep. will be really entertaining. Um, a great talent. And uh, for some reason, a little bit underrated. I think he should be on the radar more and, and people's conscience. puts his own yeah. light under a bushel a bit. Yeah, he's, got, He won a fucking Ivan Novello award, didn't he, for um, Urban Spaceman, I think. Good. Right. But he's always been slightly overshadowed by very noisy, eccentric collaborators like Viv Stanshaw and, yeah. and, and, and the Pythons and things. The people he's near... <laughs> are a bit noisier and probably a bit brasher than him. Well, he once said to me, uh, I've never had very sharp elbows. Oh. <laughs> and that's... I think that's, uh, that's a virtue. Yes, yeah. the mark of the man. Yeah. There we go. And also, a man with sharp elbows wouldn't have recorded songs like this with this much love mm. in them that make us so happy. Ears to uh, blunt elbows. <laughs> and with that lovely he wish. to Neil Innes. To Neil Innes. Innes. Thank you very much, Kevin Eldon. Pleasures all round. Still, still no sign of the um, of the uh, the man who's uh, going to talk about um, lateness. So, here's tonight's documentary. 